0: Welcome to another episode of the Victory Baptist Church Podcast. This podcast is a ministry of Victory Baptist Church in Valdosta, Georgia. To learn more about our ministry and the impact it has had in our community for over fifty years, visit VictoryBaptistValdosta.com. Now let's listen as Pastor Ward brings today's message from God's Word. I'll go ahead and apologize ahead of time. I don't have The notes, I didn't get the uh, notes on for the screen, and so there's not going to be a lot of things uh, for you to look at on the screen tonight. However, if you have your Bible in your hand, or if you want to look on, I want to just take a little bit of time and and give a little bit of summary to what's going on in chapter number four and chapter number five, because they are a unit. You can't separate them, just like other... In the book of Psalms, 22, 23, and 24, you can't separate those three Psalms. They're put together, and in order to understand the two, you have to understand the one, or vice versa. And same way in, uh, when it comes to the gifts. When you look in 1 Corinthians, you've got to look at chapter 12, chapter 13, and chapter 14, or you'll get a very uh, disoriented view of what God is teaching about the gifts of the Spirit. If you don't look at all the chapters together, just select the verse here and there, and you can prove anything you want to prove from the Bible. I can from the pulpit. But we take it as God wrote it down, and as it's inspired. And so when we, when we get when we compare Scripture with Scripture, and we go verse by verse, and line upon line, and precept by precept, then we don't get confused. We can know. We can know what God wants us to know about this book, We'll never know at all, but in order to get a good perspective of where we're headed in the book of Revelation this summer, it's going to be our summer school program, and we'll look at it on Wednesday, uh, Sunday nights rather, and uh, as we make our way through. We started sometime back on a Sunday morning, and I preached a message, had ten points, I believe, at least nine, and uh, uh, some things that John saw. And I didn't get to finish the message, so I just decided to go back and break it up into bits and pieces and look at some of these things that he saw. Now, I mentioned to you Sunday night a week ago or two weeks ago, whenever it was the last time, that we have a natural outline that's given to us in the first chapter. And he's looking at things that that are and things that are shortly to come to pass, things that were and things that are and things that are shortly to come to pass. And uh, we've already looked at... Uh, how that um, John saw Christ and then he also saw the church age. He saw the churches. Those seven churches in Asia Minor, literal churches, and, um, and he identified each of those and then those that are more knowledgeable than I am have been able to put them into uh, a dispensational order and uh, chronologically they follow the, the first not necessarily the first century, but the first age of time of the church and the second age of the time of the church and so on and so forth. Sometimes it's only centuries. Sometimes it's multiple centuries that are involved. But it got us from the very first church and, and shortly thereafter, the, the um, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ into the book of Acts and through the church epistles until this modern time that we're living in. And now we are obviously living... Beyond the church of Sardis Beyond the church of Philadelphia We have gone into the Laodicean church age And you see what's happening Christ has been moved outside of the church He's knocking at the door As you close out chapter number 3 Wanting to come in And so I'm glad That, uh, that at least we have we, we have that information about it That, that he hasn't given up on us uh, He's not given up on the church He loves the church and you shouldn't give up on it. He hasn't given up on it, and so that's kind of where the things that John saw. And then he talked about the. Then he begins to talk about the things of following the church age. At the end of the church age, what will happen next? When time, when the clock has ticked around, and all, and it goes all the way down to the last second on God's uh, time clock. And uh, the trumpet sounds and the voice of the archangel, we've looked at that. And then the dead in Christ shall rise first, and we which are alive, and, and you put all of these things in their order, and uh, they fit in the Bible really well if you do it that way. And so that brought us to chapter number four, and we titled that part The uh, Rapture. The Rapture. Now, the word rapture is not in the scripture. It is a word that the combination of the two words that we find in First Thessalonians chapter number four, when it says, "being that they were caught up, they were caught up, caught up," and that's the word. It's lifted up, it's carried out, and drawn up, and so by the Holy Spirit of God. And so that's where we find um, John in the in chapter number four, and so that's kind of where we are with our study. There's two things that are happening here in chapter number four, and we're just going to kind of go down some of the verses, maybe not all the verses, but I'd like to look at some of the characters here and some of the characterizations that we have in chapter number four and chapter number five. I don't want to get into the tribulation period yet. We'll start that the next time we get together, but and I don't want to spend a lot of time uh and you know, doing some follow-up on what we've already talked about, but it's important that we see these two things in chapter number four and chapter number five. These, these are the two thoughts. Number one, it is the rapture and the redeemed. In chapter number five, we're looking at the redeemed. Now, there's a lot going on. There's a lot going on after we are called up into the air to be with Jesus. I personally believe that we go from there and the, as we have the reunion in the sky, I think that we go to the judgment seat of Christ, all, those, all that stuff that business is taken care of. And all of these events in chapter number four and chapter number five, everything's going on in heaven. None of this is going on on earth, but things are going on on earth. The things that you are, that the apocalypse that you have, that you've seen movies about and you, you've had bad dreams at night about it and, and all of these weird and wicked things are coming to their culmination and all of that's going on here on earth while we're up in heaven. And all literally all hell is turned loose because we see these wicked, vile monsters coming up out of the pit. And you'll see all that begin to take place in chapter number 6. But it starts in chapter number 4. We're just not here. We're just not here. And uh, the things, the storm that you see coming, I, if you're left behind when the rapture takes place, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be worse than your imagination or Hollywood or the, the worst nightmare that you've ever had. The chaos once the church is gone from this earth. Can you imagine? I, I, I feel like the church is, is the only... Part of the fabric that's left in the world that has purpose and and you know there's there's just so many things that are going to be unleashed when the church is gone and uh, the, there's no holding back then the devil will have full persuasion over everything and uh, of course eventually you'll see the beginning of the tribulation period the introduction of of the Antichrist, the anti-Christian systems will be fully in effect while we're up there as redeemed. All these things are happening here on the earth. Be mindful of that. Let's think about that for just a moment. Now, the next event on God's calendar is the sound of the trumpet and the voice of the archangel and we're carried up for the glad reunion. And so that takes place in chapter number four. There's a the emphasis in chapter number four is the throne of God. We're going to see the throne of God. And uh, he gives us a little introduction to it here. I think 14 times, I'm not sure, don't take time to count it tonight, but either in chapter number four or chapter number five, and I remember this from teaching on the subject years ago, I don't know if it's a combination of two, but 14 times the throne is mentioned in this passage of Scripture. Uh, Forget the chapter division, if you will, for just a moment. Fourteen times he makes mention of the throne of God. And about the throne of God, here's what's going on. It's all about worship. You better get used to it. This is the quietest world you'll ever live in. Whichever one you, whether you go up yonder or down there, it's going to be the loudest place you've ever been in your life. And you say, well, I just like it quiet. Well, you're not going to get your way when it it gets there. It is about worship around the throne. I want you to see this tonight. Let's look at just a a few of the thoughts. And, and of course, we looked at, after this I looked, and behold, a door was opened into heaven. And then he begins to describe, and he said in verse number 2, And immediately I was in the Spirit, behold, a throne was set in heaven, and one that sat on the throne. And he that sat was to look uh, like upon jasper and sardine sardine stone. And there was, and look at this, a rainbow round about the throne in the sight like unto an emerald. And so there's this beautiful, you you see the throne of God, it's mentioned, and we get more description of it as we go. The throne of God is mentioned, and then there's this rainbow. It, It infuriates me. Now, I don't want to get back, I'm not, I'm not running rabbits tonight. It infuriates me for this movement in America that has taken something that God, it, it's sacrilegious, it's, it, I can't think of the terms to call it tonight. It is an abomination to God. It's an abomination to God to take something that he has used as a symbol that he would never flood, he didn't say he wouldn't ever send fireballs on the earth again, but he didn't say he wouldn't flood it again. And he gave, as a testament to that and a promise to that, he gave his covenant to man and he put the rainbow. I saw one just the other day. Put the rainbow in the sky. Now the rainbow tells us two things. Number one, there's been a really bad storm. It's Been real stormy. And how true that is tonight. But the second thing is, If that rainbow has appeared, the sun is shining through. Just think about that for a moment. You think about all the hardships and all the storms and all the trials and that God's people collectively have been together, and I don't think we've seen anything yet. The Lord Terry is coming. I think that I can safely say now, I think that I can safely say now that even in America, you're going to see persecution of God's people and God's church. I never thought it would happen in my lifetime. If not in my lifetime, perhaps in my children or my grandchildren's lifetime, at least in my great grandchildren's lifetime. You'll see persecution unprecedented against the people of God. We're quickly becoming the most unnoted minority in the world and in America in particular. Now, I, could, I can run that, I can go with it, but I'm going to try to stay away from it tonight. We'll come back, I'll drive up a stob and we'll come back there at another time. but It's going to happen. It's already happening. It's already happening. And so now, God has given the rainbow. There's been a storm. When you, when you get up there, we'll be able to, you know, I, I don't know that we'll even be interested in thinking back. But, but the weary pilgrims have finally arrived on the shore. We finally got to the place that all of the wickedness and all of the vileness and all of the the condemnation of the world and all of the ridicule and all the mockery, we have finally left this old world behind. But as long as you're in the world, the world is going to be a problem. But we get out of here. This world is not my home, I'm just a passing through. Are you listening tonight? And so we see as it begins to develop down through here, we, we see that there has a storm, been a storm, but the storm is over, and now the sun is shining through again. And then he goes on down and he begins to talk about around this throne in verse number 4. He said, around about the throne there were four and twenty seats. And upon the seats I saw four and twenty elders sitting clothed in white raiment. And they're mentioned not only here, but they're mentioned again. Let's read on down a little bit further. In uh, verse number seven, he begins to talk, well that's verse number six rather. Well, verse number five I guess it is. And out of the throne proceeded lightnings and thunderings and voices. And there were seven lamps of fire burning at before the throne, which, is, uh, which are the seven spirits of God. Now, we could look into all these things, and, and perhaps we will just a little bit later. But for the sake of time, and before the throne, there was a sea of glass like a crystal. And in the midst of the throne and round about the throne, there were four beasts full of eyes before and behind. Eyes in the front and eyes in the rear. In verse number 7, and the first beast was like a lion. And the second beast like a calf. And the third beast uh, uh, had the face of a man. And the fourth beast was like a flying eagle. Now all of these are, are descriptive of, of, of what's going on and what God is doing uh, there about the throne. Let's read on verse number eight. He said, the four beasts, each of them had six wings about him. And they were full of eyes uh, within. And they rest not. Here, here it is. They rest not. Day and night, saying, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, which was and is and is to come. And when those beasts give glory and honor and thanks to him that sat on the throne, uh, who liveth forever and ever, here's the four and twenty elders again, and then we'll come back and look at the scene. The four and twenty elders fall down before him that sat on the throne and worship him that liveth forever and forever and cast their crowns before the throne Saying, thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for thou hast redeemed all things for thou hast, uh, for thy pleasure. They are and were created. So here's the scene. We have the throne, and then around the throne, we have these, uh, these beast, uh, beastly featured creatures that have gathered together. And then we have these four and twenty elders. I don't know who... He, exactly who that is. It may say in the footnotes of your Schofield Bible, it may say something like this, that it's uh, their representatives of, um, of the um, 12 tribes of Israel and the 12 apostles, of course, making 24. Don't have any argument with that, but I don't know who they are. He doesn't say. He doesn't say. The only clue that we get about them, well, actually, we have two clues about these four and 20 elders. We know how many they are and uh, we know that um, we know what they're doing. They're worshiping God. Uh, they appear to be ministers. Maybe it is the 12 tribes of Israel combined with the 12 apostles. I don't know. I don't know. Uh, maybe somebody could figure that out for us. I'm not really concerned about it that much. But, I, I, but here's what they're doing. Uh, here's what I want to say. I know they're not Baptists. <laughs> they're not Baptists. No, 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 no. And so this worship begins around the throne of God. And these, these four beasts that had all of these strange and odd features about them... The Bible said that they're going about the throne of God day and night and night and day and they're going around and around and around the throne of God and every few steps they take, they just put their hands in the air and they say, holy, holy, holy and they make another lap. Day and night they're lapping the throne of God and these 24 elders, they get in on this thing and they say, wow, man, that looks like a lot of fun. And so now we've got this whole parade of people that are going about the throne of God and their hands are in the air and they're saying that he's worthy. Worship denotes worthiness and that he's worthy and they're worshiping him and they're praising him unlike Pentecostals have ever seen. Much less bad. Worshiping the one on the throne. What a scene. I can't hardly wait. You say, I don't know. Well, let's read the next chapter. <laughs> let's read on. Let's read on just a little bit further. And so that's the, the scene that thou art worthy to receive glory and honor and power, for thou hast created all things for thy pleasure. They are and were created. Chapter number five, we're introduced to yet another group of people and some more characterizations. And he said, I saw in the right hand of him that sat on the throne a book written within and on the backside sealed with seven seals. And I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, who is worthy to open the book and to loose the seals thereof? And no man in heaven, nor in the earth, neither under the earth was able to open the book, neither to look thereon. And I wept much, John's weeping and crying now, because no man was found worthy to open and to read the book, neither look thereon. And then all of a sudden, one of the elders saith unto me, Weep not. Behold, look at these designations, the line of the tribe of Judah. The root of David hath prevailed to open the book and loose the seven seals thereof, which will unleash the tribulation period. And I beheld and lo in the midst of the throne and of the four beasts and the midst of the elders running about the throne. Like a bunch of camp meeting people. Look at this. The third designation stood as a lamb. Now we've seen, or now we see, three pictures of Jesus. The first one we see Him as the Lion of the tribe of Judah. What about that? The Lion of the tribe of Judah. The Lion speaks of courage and the Lion speaks of victory. It is all about the sovereignty of God. The Lion of the tribe of Judah is a picture of our sovereign God. That does as he pleases. He said so in the latter part of the chapter. He said, I made all these things. I created all these things. And they were and are for my pleasure. A sovereign God. The lion of the tribe of Judah. Nobody nobody goes and, and picks at the lion. That's for sure. That's not one of the animals that's in the petting zoo. The lion of the tribe of Judah. But he's also distinguished as not only as this line of the tribe of Judah depicting his courage and his victory, but his sovereignty. And then he mentions the root of David. And you have to go all the way back into the book of Genesis and follow the lineage through. But it deals with the humanity of Jesus, the root of David. We know that he was of his father. David and of course Joseph and the lineage all the way back and, and uh, into the book of Ruth and, and, uh, and Ruth and and, uh, uh, and uh, all, all of the combinations of, of, of things that are going on and the redemption plan and how God is manipulating situations and bringing people together and, and babies are being born and of course in that the line of David or the lineage of David. And so we see this line is an image of his sovereignty. The root is an image of his humanity. How that Jesus Christ was 100% God. He never surrendered any of his sovereignty, any of his righteousness. He never never surrendered any of that when he came down to this earth. He was 100% God and yet 100% man, his humanity. And so now as he hung on the cross of Calvary in the likeness of a human, now he's in heaven because there was no man that was found, no strong man could be found that could even pull the seal off the roll. And so once again, our loving Savior does something for us that nobody else can do. And then he mentions in, in verse number five, the, as the Lamb and stood as the Lamb slain, had been slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God. We go look at, back and look at those seven spirits of God. Uh, and, 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 and the, and the, well, let me just say this about it, just to just, to, just kind of a, look at, characterize it for just a moment. The seven horns represent the perfect, Power of God. Seven is the number of perfection in the Scripture, and the horn is a picture. The horn, the ra- the horn of a ram, is a picture of power and strength. The seven eyes are a picture of His perfect vision, and the seven spirits are a picture of His perfect presence. God is everywhere, all the time. He's in all places. There's not anywhere He can't go. There's probably some places he won't go. But God is free to do as God chooses to do. And what he's telling us in these 21 things about him, these seven horns and these seven eyes and these seven spirits about him is that he's perfect in his power, he's perfect in his vision, and he's perfect in his presence. And so now he comes. And with little or no effort, He came, and He came, verse number 7, and He came and took the book out of the right hand of Him that sat upon the throne. His Father hands it to Him. And when He had taken the book, when He had taken the book, the four beasts and the four and twenty elders fell down before the Lamb, having every one of them harps and golden vials full of odors, which are prayers of the saints. And they sung a new song. I think someone that I read behind said there's about 14 songs in the book of Revelation. And of the songs that are in the book of, the Reve- uh, the book of Revelation, almost every one of them is about redemption. Amen. And so now the rest, chapter number four, is about the elders and it's about the four beasts and it's about the worship around the throne and then you get to chapter number five and it's about the redeemed here following to the end of the chapter, if you're saved tonight, you're going to be part of this chapter. You're going to be part of what's being read into your hearing tonight, right before our very eyes. And so they sung this new song saying, Thou art worthy to take the book and to open the seals thereof, for thou was slain, and look at this, and has redeemed us to God. I, when I was listening to the songs tonight, I couldn't hardly stay on my seat. I was trying to, Rest up a little bit before the service. And um, what a beautiful day for the Lord to come again. Amen. And the second song was Redeemed, How I Love to Proclaim. What Man, only God can put things together. I hadn't been in in, in concert with, with Brother Greg today. Well, I'm preaching on rapture and, and, and the coming of the Lord and redemption night. So pick us out a few songs that'll fit and make me look good tonight, make you look good too. Oh, no. God knows what He's doing. I wasn't running all over the building, but I was running all over on the inside. My whole, running around, around my heart anyway. Oh, what a wonderful Savior is mine. And so they go down through and they begin to sing, Thou art worthy. Thou art worthy. Redemption. Redemption, if you study the Old Testament, there were several things that had to be in order. They had to be, there had to be, merchandise there had to be a merchant and they had and it was necessary to have the merchandising which was a process of buying the word redeemed simply means to be bought he bought us I told you the story about a little boy that had taken his allowance and went down to the trinket shop and kept buying little pieces of wood and and sticks, and various things, and cloth, and finally, in, in a period of, over a period of time, this young boy, he had made himself a sailboat, a little ship to sail, and he put it together, made it with his own hands, put the sail on it, and so he went down to the creek one day after he'd completed the, um, the, the ship, put it in the water, gave it a little push, and it set sail, the creek was running a little faster than he had anticipated, and the ship went astray. And uh, somehow or another, he was not able to run and catch up with it, and it went on down and maybe it went uh, into from the creek into the river, and then finally it was completely lost from his presence. One day, months later, I guess it was, a little boy was in town, and he was there at the local thrift store, store little trinket shop in town he was just kind of meandering through and had a little bit of money in his pocket and he walked all through the store and then he got all the way to the back of the building and on the back wall you guessed it on the back wall his ship was sitting on a table he walked up to it and he just marveled because he had he loved that ship and he'd put a lot of time in that ship and he'd spent all of his money on that ship but he had Earned more money since then and so he went to the keeper of of the shop and he said to the keeper he said I'd like to buy that ship the keeper said well it's this and that amount and he looked through his change and he had just enough money to buy that ship he went to the counter and he made the purchase of the ship after he would purchased the ship he put it in his arms and he carried it and he walked out on the outside and said ship he said you're mine two times He said the first time I made you and the second time I bought you. The first time I made you you went astray and the second time I bought you. We are his hallelujah to God. I feel like running around the throne a few times. And so what happens? As we close tonight let's read on. And so they they begin to sing. And redemption is by the blood. And notice it's every kindred, every tongue, every people in every nation. I get infuriated when people imply that the church of the living God has prejudice in it. I do. That would be the biggest insult that you could ever give me. I don't care if you talk about how bad my preaching is or how... Oh, how bad of an administrator I might be and, and how, you know, I, I, you, you can point out all my faults, but you never could give me a, a, I started to say greater, but a worse insult than implying that I was prejudiced. This book said that they're, they're of all nations, they're of all tongues, they're of all people, and they're of all kindreds a lifetime of my ministry. They were talking about if just one more soul and they talked about, you know, a lifetime of labor still. I've spent a life, my lifetime trying to reach men, women, boys and girls of every nation, of every color, of every creed, of every index. Whoever they are, it doesn't matter to me. But that's the way they want us portrayed this day and hour. Give it. Prejudice and racism exist. It exists in the world. But it shouldn't be in the heart of a child of God. Don't couple me with thousands and tens of thousands of, of other people. See me for who I am. And so we join together with this heavenly band. I don't... I don't know what the language will be but it said "And has made us unto uh, us, us unto our gods kings and priests and look at this and we shall reign on earth that's going to be a little bit later okay we're not going to get to that right now I love verse number 11 and beheld and I beheld and heard the voice of many angels round about the throne and the beast and the elders I tell you, when worship gets on, it, it's going to be hard to hard to uh, keep from getting involved. This thing's getting bigger and bigger. It's, you know, it started out with the four beasts and then the four and twenty elders. Now look how many people are worshiping God, and why? And, beh- and I beheld many voices of the voices of many angels round about the throne, of the beast, and the elders. And the number of them was ten thousand times ten thousand and thousands of thousands. You don't know how many of that was. I mean, you can do the multiplication and get the first part of the equation, but then he said at the end of it, and there were thousands and thousands and thousands of thousands and more, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. And every creature which is in heaven and on the earth and under the earth, and such as are in the sea and all that are uh, in them, heard I saying, Blessing and honor and glory and power be unto him that sitteth upon the throne and unto the Lamb forever and ever. And the four beasts now, I guess they're kind of worn out a little bit, they say, Amen. And the four and twenty elders fell down and worshipped him. I didn't designate any of this, but in, in verse number nine it said, Thou art worthy. In, um, in verse number 11 of chapter number four, Thou art worthy. And so it's about the worthiness of God. We don't worship God because we feel like worshipping God. We don't, we don't worship our Heavenly Father because we are, you know, because we we feel like, you know, that, that somebody's going to look on us in a, in a negative way if we don't worship Him. We don't, we're not coerced to worship God. We don't worship God because we feel like we are worthy to worship Him. But we worship Him because His worth and His worthiness because He is who He said He is. And that's the reason we are compelled and drawn to every once in a while just lift up our hands. Don't do it while you're driving down the road. Just to lift up our hands, sometimes publicly, sometimes privately, and just say, Lord, I praise you today. I want to lift up my hands and praise your blessed and holy name. Closing with this thought, they're worshiping him. In chapter number five and verse number five, they're worshiping because of who he is. Because of who he is. He's the lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. He who had no sin became sin for you and for me. We worship him because of who he is. In verse number 6, we worship because of where he is. He's at the throne of God. Remember when he ascended up into heaven, he ascended up into heaven and sat down at the right hand of the Father. You can't go wrong believing this King James Bible. You, you won't get trapped. You won't get caught. You won't, le- you, you won't get left without an answer if you just follow these, the dictates of this book. And God's put it all together so marvelously. And then the final thing the musicians can come because of what He does. That's the reason we worship. Not because we feel good, but because He's worthy. Not because things are going good and going well for us and the bills are paid and and there's food in the cupboard and the tank is full of fuel. Not because we sit down at a seven course meal or all those things are, are are part of the equation. But at the end of the day, if you don't have a can of soup or a bag of dry beans in your cupboard, he's still worthy. He's still worthy. If you don't have enough money in your pocket to fill up your gas tank, he's still worthy. If you're flat on your back in a hospital room before the sun goes down, believe me, I know how that feels. He's nonetheless worthy If you get a pink slip from your job tomorrow, He's still worthy. He's still worthy that we might worship Him. He's so worthy. Our Father, we thank You for the day. Lord, we thank You for these scenes that You've allowed us to see through the eyes of John. I'm glad that we can look to the rapture rapture of the church. You said if you go away, you'll come again and receive us unto yourself. It's going to happen. In a moment that we think not, it's going to happen. Like a thief in the night, it's going to happen. And then, Lord, to let us peer into the throne room. We're so thankful. Lord, to give us a little glimpse of worship at its best. We come so short here on earth, but one day we'll be unleashed from all these worldly ties, and and pride, and embarrassment, and shame, peer pressure. And finally, we'll be able to worship you for who you are and where you are and what you've done. Thank you, Father, for the story of the redeemed given to us clearly in the scripture. While these are praying, we invite you to come tonight.